Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I am your host, Zach Van Norman, and I am joined by my regular hosts, Amy Hood and Ashley Benson. Hello, Amy, darling. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Ashley, hello, my dear. Hello. How you doing? How's Chicago? Chicago, Chicago needs more sun. I am this this gray <laughs> skies and just gloomy. No, I I need sunshine because this is just getting ridiculous. <laughs> and of course, we're talking to two people who are in the more sunnier states here in the continental U.S. So you know, at least you have friends on either coast that you can go visit whenever you need to. This is a good thing. Yeah, send that sunshine my way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have a lot to talk about with this uh, episode of the podcast because The Apprentice was probably one of my favorite episodes of the show thus far in the entire series. So um, let's get right on into this. So for our news roundup, everybody, um, first of all, I just want to let you all know that Ginny Goodwin will be on live with Kelly and Michael on October 24th, which is Friday. Friday. Friday, yeah. I didn't think about it. Friday, so yeah, seven days before. Yeah, I'm on it with the calendar. I'm current. Um, So make sure that you tune into that. Uh, Check your local listings. Of course, it normally airs on ABC, so whatever channel that's on for you, make sure you check that out for the times and what channel it's going to be on. Interested to see what she's going to say because, uh, to be honest, I don't really remember – Jenny making the rounds on the morning talk show circuit so much. I know she normally does like the late show or a couple of other ones, but I don't really recall her being on daytime talk. So I'm interested to see what's going to go on there. Hmm. She might be on different because of the baby. True. True. Could be. I haven't really seen a lot of, you know, we haven't seen a lot of publicity come from Jenny since, um, her and Josh became new parents, so you know she did show up at the premiere, which was neat. Just you know, everybody was waiting to see if she was going to come out. So I'm definitely going to check out this interview. I know a lot of the onesers are too. She is definitely a favorite. Of course, speaking yeah. of favorites. Well, <laughs> yeah, speaking Pickway. of favorite and Josh and Jenny, yes. <laughs> Once again, I know every year we talk about the People's Choice Awards. Well, it's that time of year again where everybody needs to get voting, and we're actually catching wind of this early this year because right now we're in preliminary. So if you go to vote.peopleschoice.com, it's in the beginning pre-vote stages where you pick the, the ones and vote for who you want to actually be on the official voting ballots, which open up on November 4th for the actual awards. I did look into those, and I know that right now, like Josh, Jennifer, uh, Jen Morrison, they are all on there. Once Upon a Time is on there, of course, for Best Sci-Fi Show. But um, now with the opportunity, if there are other cast members, you can actually write them in and submit it. So as of right now, Lana Faria is not on there, which everybody knows I love, love, love her. I think she should be, so... I, of course, jumped in and put her in there, and I'm sure a lot of you will, too. Yes, I will be one of them. (laughs) Oh, yes, definitely. I think it's kind of neat, too, that we uh, are getting some reputation, reputation, representation 
in the favorite TV character we miss most category. Uh, I see Neil Cassidy there. So I think that's, you know, we'll always remember you, Neil. Oh, 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 my phone fire heart is all a flutter. That's awesome. Oh, well, I mean, of course, I would never reveal who I'm voting for because you don't do these kinds of things in elections. But, um, yeah. Certainly not. Oh, that's that's awesome. Well, that's cool for Michael Raymond James and for all of us, you know, Swanfire fans because, you know. Flying the flag. It's cool that we're going to be able to write Lana Priya in um, if we want to for one of the options. That's pretty Mm -hmm. cool. And, you know, speaking of Lana Priya, she tweeted out a very interesting picture today, didn't she, Ashley? She did. Oh, I was at work and my Twitter went bananas because... What she tweeted out was a tweet uh, welcoming back uh, Kristen Bauer Van Stratton back to Once Upon a Time. And as you know, she plays Maleficent. And it was like it was a fun villain selfie. And it was just neat to see um, just the two of them together. I really like the bit that she put on the bottom there. She uh, was quoting herself, and I believe it was the second episode, looking forward to seeing my one and only friend uh, from that line from the second episode way back in the first season. Um, so I'm wondering, yeah. I mean, clearly from the picture, we look like we're going to get a, get a bit more flashback action, but I'm wondering if we're going to see some stuff um, in the present-day storybook as well. Mm. I jumped up. I was so excited when I saw her tweet today. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You guys know we've been talking forever about Maleficent and getting her back, even before it was even a rumor that we might get Kristen Bauer von Stratton back because I kept mentioning that True Blood was ending and could we please get Maleficent back in here because I love, 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 love Maleficent and we love backstory. And I cannot wait, cannot wait for her to come back on the show. I'm right there with you on that. Maleficent is one of my favorite Disney characters. She's, I mean, it, it's kind of go. She goes toe to toe with the Evil Queen as far as my favorite villain. So it's kind of well, and Ursula too. I just love the villain. I love every Disney character really. So it's hard to say a favorite. It depends on the day and something that I've watched the movie. Um, but I will just say that um, if anybody has been following Once Upon a Fan and you know season four, uh, there is a season four prediction article that we put out. Um, about a month or so ago, the new have written it, so, you know, self-plug there. But, um, you know, take a look at that because there's going to be definitely some interesting interaction going on um, with Maleficent and some characters in Storybrooke. She's obviously not going to be very happy with Regina for being in prison for 28 years as a dragon in a cave um, and then turned into some weird zombie mummy thing. Um and then in addition to that, she's probably not going to be very happy with Emma either because, you know, when somebody stabs you in the gut with a sword, you're probably going to carry a grudge. And uh, additionally, uh, Will Scarlet did steal a looking glass from her um, on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. So yeah. I think that, she, you know, she's, that, that right there, there's three ties to characters that are now in Storybrooke that she's, you know, going to have some issues with. So I'm I'm anxious to see you know, her come back to the show and interest in how that storyline is going to play out. And I'm also really curious as to whether or not they will reveal that she is the black fairy of, you know, storybook legend, if you will. 
Um, Finger oh, my God. Yeah, because, what? I mean, Leficent is, you know, she is a fairy in Disney lore, so, you know, it kind of qualifies her immediately as, you know, that person. So um interested to see what's going on with that. And, you know, I've seen a lot of Maleficent Halloween costumes going on, uh, you know, Pinterest and Twitter and Facebook and social media, things like that. Um, people are either choosing to be the classic Maleficent or they're going for the Angelina Jolie version. Uh, so, you know, c- pretty cool timing that we're getting a tweet about Maleficent a week before Halloween. And, uh, you know, speaking of Halloween, uh, there is a pumpkin decorating contest that Once Upon a Fan is sponsoring. Um, and we are, uh, the submissions are due by October 28th. You can send your pictures and your stuff into the email address is artwork at onceuponafans.com. We can do either a carved pumpkin or just a decorated pumpkin where you paint a picture on it, either one. So if you want to submit your, uh, your pumpkins into the decorating contest, again, it's due by October 28th. And then we'll be announcing the winners later on next week. So make sure that you uh, get out all your little knives and, uh, you know, have plenty of newspaper around, have a bowl for all the pumpkin guts. Um, hey, maybe somebody could maybe somebody could make a pumpkin of a dragon Maleficent and have, like, the guts spilling out and have, like, pumpkin seeds everywhere. I'm just saying. That's, that's kind of gory for a pumpkin, but, you know, that's a little more Game of Thrones than uh, Once Upon a Time, I suppose. But, you know, you can just submit your stuff in, artwork at onceuponafans.com. Uh, we would love to see what you do. You can also paint one, like I said. So if you don't have a lot of talent with the carving things, because I know that I I can't carve a pumpkin and make it look right unless they use a pattern. So uh, if you just want to paint stuff on there, we'll take those two, and the winners will be announced next week. I would love to yeah. see a pumpkin sorcerer's hat. I'd love to see somebody pull that off. Ah, yes. That would like, be amazing. I, yeah. I, am on board. I, I haven't the pumpkin talent, but I am totally on board if somebody else wants to do that. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, yeah, since, I... since Sydney is back, we could even, you know, somebody could perhaps paint him on there or a genie or a lamp or something. Um, you know, that would be yeah. fun since he's a character that's returned. Oh, wait, as a matter I of fact... <laughs> As a matter of fact, with Sydney in the mirror, uh, there may be an episode dedicated to him coming up shortly, although it may not be him. And, uh, Amy, I think you've got some more information about what I'm talking about. I do. I love the magic mirror. I've always loved the magic mirror, even before Once Upon a Time. And I love Giancarlo Esposito as Sydney in the mirror. So I was excited when I saw that Adam Horowitz tweeted out another title today, and it was for episode 10. It's going to be called Shattered Sight, which may or may not be about the mirror. But I've, it seems like we've gotten a couple of episodes that might be kind of, I mean, they could they have to do with glass. Like I know next week is Breaking Glass, and then we have another episode. I can't remember the title of it, but something else that refers to uh, the mirror. So we seem to have a couple of these, and I know there are some things in the actual uh, original Snow Queen mythology that has sort of a uh, something about shards of glass being used on piece, pieces of people's hearts and things. So I'm really curious to see if they're pulling it that way, or if it is Sydney, or do you guys have any theories about that? 
Uh, I agree with you on the theory that it's playing more into the um, traditional Snow Queen tale, which I haven't run in like a bajillion years, and, you know, shame on me. Um, but I want to say, was it a shard of glass that went into someone's heart or went into someone's eye? Because I thought I, or maybe I'm thinking of a different fairy tale, but I could have sworn it was a Snow Queen where a shard of glass got into Kay's eye and it could he could see the truth, he could see beyond fairy glamour. Because of that, am I making things up? Or, but I think no. it's very interesting if that was something that track with that. Um, I know that the mirror is partially used to um, not only to make people see things uglier. I think, if I'm right. Um, oh, it's to see the true nature of people inside. That's see, what it was. That's right. That's what it is. It's to see their yeah. true nature, and people are just awful. So it was. Uh, it was. Uh, yeah. It gave him the sight to see all the uh, horrible things that are lurking within the hearts of men. Yeah, and, you and know, it looks like we're getting some confirmation in the in the chat room about that. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting that you say that because um, you know, being able to see the true nature of people, it's kind of like a superpower, almost like being able to tell when people are lying. Mm. Oh my God! What if that's how Emma got her superpower? What is going uh, along with the Snow Queen theory? Somehow glass shattered when all you know back in the day, and that's how she got her her lie detector power. Oh, mm. that would be fabulous! I'm I'm all about Emma having any kind of power. Really, give her give her all of the power. As a matter of fact. <laughs> the power. So that's pretty much it for the news roundup. We don't really have anything else to talk about, which I am actually kind of grateful for because it means that we have that much more time to talk about the episode. And it makes me very, very happy because this episode, um, just on a personal note, I uh, not only did I predict certain things that happened in this episode in my Season 4 prediction article, but um, it is also... Uh, it's also lending weight to a theory that I wrote a year ago about the fact that Yensid the Sorcerer is the author of the book. And now we've got a lovely Sorcerer's Apprentice situation going on. So um, I am tickled by it. So let's go ahead and uh, get right on into this discussion because I'm very anxious to talk about it. So this week's chapter of Once Upon a Time begins with a flashback to a dusty, crumbling underground chamber lit by some fabulous torches. Ooh. And we see an older man sweeping the floor in front of a large dace. And um, there's a, the source box itself is right in the place of honor, front and center. But all of a sudden, the torches go out, and the man looks around, and he unsheathes the sword before he calls out for the Dark One to reveal himself. And a cloaked figure approaches behind him and kind of half asks, half says that he is not the sorcerer. And the old man reveals that he is the sorcerer's apprentice and that the cloaked figure is not the first Dark One he has faced. And then he goes to strike the figure down with his sword. But the Dark One vanishes, and he reappears at the dais, and he sends the apprentice flying backwards before he goes to the sorcerer's box with the dagger. And the apprentice warns the Dark One that he doesn't want to know what he will unleash if he opens the box, but being the fact that the Dark One is uh, Zoso, played by Brad DeReef, he waves the dagger over the box, but there's an enchantment on that lovely thing. And the apprentice reveals that the sorcerer himself cast it, 
and it makes it impossible for anyone who has succumbed to the darkness in their heart to touch the box, and that every dark one has tried to possess the box, but none of them ever will, and then Zoso disappears. Okay, just say, first of all, first of all, first of all, when I saw the crumbling wall, I was immediately looking for hidden Mickeys somewhere in the Am I alone in this? Yes. No, no I was thinking not. too. They've done it before, so I, I was like, mm-hmm. All right, "Let's see, where's the mouse?" <laughs> yes, um, there the were fact a lot that... of Easter eggs. Loved it. Oh, so many, so many Easter eggs in this episode from various movies, not just Fantasia, but you know, right. we saw Lady mm-hmm. Camp in there. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there was a lot going on in this one. So then right after that, at the pawn shop, Mr. Gold, Mr. Rumpelgold, waved the dagger over the box, and it transformed into the sorcerer's hat before we got the opening credits and we saw a walking broomstick. And let me tell you, when I saw that, my hands went over my mouth, and I was like, oh, boy, here we go. We're really – we are really getting Fantasia as now, aren't we? It's that scene <laughs> from The Office where Michael Scott's like, it's happening! It's happening! Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh all of the Fantasia goodies. Oh, it was awesome. Uh, meanwhile, back in Storybrooke, Emma and Henry arrive at Granny's, and Emma asks Henry if he's okay with this. He says that he's not, but he wants her to be happy, so he gives her a little push. Meanwhile, inside the diner, Hook is playing darts, and he hits the bullseye. And Hook comes over, and she seems concerned, so Hook asks if the Snow Queen has appeared, and Emma says that there's no sign of that eye switch. And as soon as she said eye switch, I thought to myself, you know, the Ice Witch, the White Witch of Narnia, whichever, you know, whatever. Did either yeah. one of you think uh, did either one of you think of Jadis the White Witch from Narnia? I, I didn't thought about and it. Amy, you first. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say I know that it's been debated, but there there was all this talk about whether or not, you know, Disney could get the full rights and I don't know. I know that. I don't know. I love this episode. I I saw this. I saw the ice witch. I love the the costuming. You know, all of the white and the whole Snow Queen thing made me think of her too. The way she's very starved and you know very soft spoken and but really just wicked inside. What did you think about it, Ash? Well, I I honestly that didn't jump first in my mind, but I'm kind of I'm not really on board with the Snow Queen being the White Witch from Narnia, just because Narnia has such a intricate and rich lore of its own. It's very mm-hmm. specific. It's a very specific world that is, is Narnia and everything. So trying to bring that in to the Once Upon a Time universe, I feel like there wouldn't be a lot of wiggle room. We wouldn't we wouldn't get a chance to see the once upon a time touch on these characters as much as we've seen on characters like from the Snow White realm or Peter Pan. And I think that's something I I would rather see a a, a, a no, not a show but you know a property a fan a fantasy property with a bit more wiggle room just so we can get those special touches. You mean something sure. like Once Upon a Narnia? No, no, I mean, like, I wouldn't, I'd rather see something, like, more in the public domain, like, something like Peter and the Wolf, which we kind of got with the the Ruby episodes, but something where, uh, well, there's, that's a good example, it was just a, a bit of a, a reinterpretation of it, whereas with Narnia, I feel like they're 
are very strict rules with like Aslan and like Janice and all that. Um, I just don't think it would mesh well in the once world. That's an interesting point. That is a good point. Yeah, I would. I would like to see something like Once Upon a Time in Narnia and see what they could do with those characters. But um, I think that's more just the fanboy in me because I think that you're right as far as the world of Narnia having its own lore and you know it could be a show unto itself. Um, it's already. I mean, there's a series of seven books. Everything is pretty much established. You can't really veer too far away from any of that stuff. So mm-hmm. I do. I do get your point there with that. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, though. Hook turns around to throw another dart, and Emma says that she's there to ask him out on a date, and it totally throws Hook's aim off because the dart just hits the wall. I love that. <laughs> he just um, like, yeah. Um, he questions whether he's the one who should be asking her out, and Emma says that he's old-fashioned, and she highlights his, you know, 300-plus years of age. Which, you know, when you think about it, even though he was in Neverland and he didn't really age, the man is 300 years old. Like... Emma's well, like he, a rever- he looks good for it, though. <laughs> he looks damn good for a three hundred year old man. <laughs> yeah, he has that. He has that that youthful glow about him. Yes. Um, <laughs> Hook accepts the date, but he wants to plan it himself. But of course, Emma says, "I know how to plan a date," and he says, "You know how to chase a monster. I know how to plan a night out." Um, Let's talk about Emma's dates for a sec. The her date from the pilot, she ended up sticking the guy's face in the steering column, and then her date with Walsh. Uh, He's a flying monkey. So maybe it was good that Emma didn't get a chance to plan the dates. Yeah. Yeah, because whenever she tries, they end up going doing something crazy. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Emma warns Hook that she doesn't pillage and plunder on the first date because saviors are respectable after all. And mm-hmm. Hook implies that it's because she hasn't been out with him yet. So Emma goes outside, and she finds that there's a large puddle that has appeared around her car. She looks around suspiciously before she gets in the little yellow bug. Meanwhile, Mr. Gold enters his pawn shop to find Hook is waiting for him on the counter, wanting to make a deal. Gold declines, but Hook plays, you know, the whole I'll tell the truth card. So Gold agrees and produces Hook's severed hand in a jar. Hook wants him to reattach it, but first, Gold warns him that the hand belongs to the man that Hook used to be, which is a cunning and selfish pirate, and there's no telling what kind of influence that, that could have on Hook. Now, I just want to point out something here, that when he says that, it's with uh, speech patterns of, you know, Enchanted Forest-era Rumpel. Uh, it's mm. very subtle, but Robert Carlyle really brought a very subtle approach to the way that he said that line. I really loved his delivery. I thought it was great that he, you know, threw that touch in there. His performance is very nuanced in this. Um, very lots of subtleties going on where he's really a mix of character. He is both, if you will. So I really thought that was pretty cool. Um, meanwhile, though, Hook decides to take off his hook, and Gold uses his magic to reattach his missing phalanges. <laughs> meanwhile, back back at Ca- Casa de Charming, uh, Snow and our lovely prince are giving Elsa the books which contain the town census records from the first and the second curse, trying to find Anna, and Elsa tells Snow that her curses are very thorough, to which Snow replies that the first three books are only A through E. Uh-huh. Ashley, I know we talked about it. Um, for anybody who didn't catch it, that is basically an Easter egg because it's referring to show creators Adam Horowitz and Eddie Kipsis, A through E. Get it? Okay. Yes. Loved it. 
so Charming brings the rest of the books out as Emma comes out wearing a dress and hairstyle that can only be described as sock hop chic. Um, and she looked amazing. Amazing. Yes. I I was like, I had seen a couple of shots, you know, promo stills of, of the dress, but only from, like, the shoulders up. But Jen Morrison looked so amazing in that outfit. I loved that whole scene. I I thought the interaction was amazing, the whole parenting thing and her getting <laughs> ready. And, oh, my God, it was so good. Oh, yeah, let, let's discuss that because Snow White, you know, when she comes out, she puts down baby Neil. She's like, someone's sister is going on a very important date tonight. And she's all proud of her and stuff. And then she takes out an old style Polaroid camera and takes a picture of Emma, which honestly, I mean, that is such a mom thing to do. Yes. No, I love that she had a Polaroid and it wasn't like, a digital camera or even a 35 millimeter, it was a Polaroid, which is quintessential, you know, that whole 80s thing. I I was so, so happy about that. I just love the fact that Emma got to have that moment, like, with her parents. Because, you know, like, if you really do think about it, they all kind of, everybody who was involved in the whole day, I mean, obviously Hook and Emma, but also even the Charmings really missed out on that part of Emma's life. Like Charming did say in passing, he's like, well, I never, you know, he never went to a ball. Um, And if you stop and really think about it, it's like these, like there's little moments throughout this, this uh, season where you see them making up for lost time. And this I think was the most like upfront uh, example of that. And I, I loved it. Like I just thought, I liked it because I thought Emma looked extremely relaxed. Like, even though she had to work to kind of forget her savioring, sheriffing duties, she looked like she was genuinely having a good time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I actually commented on that in the recap that I wrote for um, this episode, and I'm just going to kind of jump, you know, piggyback on what you just said a little bit here about that because Mm -hmm. it really does highlight – you know, the fact that they missed out on a lot of experiences together as a family, and this was one of them. Not only, you know, not only did Snow and Charming not get to send their daughter to, you know, a fancy ball the way that they would have wanted to, but, you know, Emma, since she grew up here in our world, she never had an experience where she got to get ready for a dress, you know, for a dance you know, like at high school or, you know, anything like that, and have her parents there, you know, to see her off the way that they did this time. So, you know, Ashley, like you said, it really is, I mean, it's it's a bittersweet kind of thing, really. I'm glad that they, you know, have the opportunity to give her the kind of adolescent experiences that she missed out on, kind of like in season two's, scene where she walked in on the two of them in bed together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if she really wanted that experience, but she got it. <laughs> yeah, she got it anyway. But, you know, it is, like you said, it's really sad. I mean, it's it's a bittersweet thing because, you know, it it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, what what might have been. Um, you know, but it, it's still a positive thing because they did get a chance to, 
you know, share some kind of experience like that together as a family. So Yeah, better late than never. Better late than never, exactly. So I was yeah. really happy about that. Um, so let's see. Um, right after that, too, by the way, after um, after Snow White takes the Polaroid of her in her dress, Emma says that she really needs to get her own place. And she that's the first time that she says that in this episode. She ends up saying it three times. And I just want to point out that it is completely appropriate that now that Emma has, you know, decided that Strobrook is her home, she's found her family and everything else, she wants a living space of her own at the same time that she's kind of finding her place in the world and figuring out who she is, at, not only as, you know, a daughter and wanting to be Henry's mother, but, you know, the savior. So, you know, the fact that she's looking for her own place and ready to settle down and, you know, have somewhere to call home, she's looking for her own place. So it's it's very appropriate that she was looking for that. Well, I definitely um, think that's going to come back. Um, you know, isn't there a rule in screenwriting? You show an audience something three times so they'll remember. I don't think there was a coincidence, just a coincidence or a running gag. I think we're definitely going to see some uh, Emma apartment hunting coming in the future. I agree. Agree with you on that. Um, so then right after that, you know, Emma offers to stay in for the night with them and help, you know, look for Anna, but Elsa tells her that, you know, basically tells her that she needs to live her own life and, you know, to not put her what she's doing on hold to help them because she needs to do what she needs to do. So I I appreciated the fact that Elsa is, you know, once again acting as Emma's friend and looking out for her in that way. Um I thought it was a nice touch. I really liked that a lot, too. So yeah. that's when there's a knock at the door. Oh. And that means, you know, it not only signals Hook's arrival, but also David's overprotectiveness. Yeah. And, which we'll talk about this in just a second. Um, <laughs> Emma opens the door, and Hook is standing there in modern-day garb. He has on a new leather jacket and pants, and, you know, he's not dressed like a pirate anymore, which is kind of nice considering the man has been running around Storybook for the better part of, you know, a season at least, like two seasons now nearly. <laughs> so that was nice. And he, and he uses his restored hand to give her a rose, and that leads to an exchange where Emma questions whether or not she should call him Captain Hand. <laughs> you know, she brings up a good point, though, because I have to, I have to admit, when I got wind of the hand restoring plot line, I was a little, I was not on board right away just because I'm like, well, he's Captain Hook. Like, it's the hook, man. you got to be about the hook. But um, obviously, I mean, I really liked how everything went with this episode in regards to that. But I just remember being a little like, oh, but I hope it's not permanent because he's Captain Hook. Just because it's something so iconic about him and it Uh kind of, represents the journey that he's gone through on the show. I mean, he got that hook on his revenge quest, and now he's that he's past that. It's kind of a reminder of this is, you know, things were pretty ugly for you for a while. This is a reminder of that. So I'm just, I'm really glad that he has the hook back, but we'll get to that in a bit. I'm with, I'm with you on that. He, I mean, Captain Hook needs his hook because otherwise yeah. he is Captain Hand. So, um, you know, and it, it, that's just that's just not okay with me. So um, at that point, Emma, you know, she's ready to go. She's ready to get going before David can give him, you know, can give Hook a dad speech. 
And Hook assures Charming that, you know, Emma is in good hands. And Charming's like, that's exactly what worries me now that you've got two of them. Uh, uh, Emma says, I can take care of myself. And he's like, are you sure you don't want me to drive? And she's like, bye. Like, in the most, <laughs> the cutest little, like, she's so clearly uncomfortable and like, oh, my God, my parents are embarrassing me. Like, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So good. Anyway, I so I I'm pretty sure that my mother embarrassed me in front of you, Zach, at Comic-Con the same way when she's like, Hi, I'm Ashley's mom, and I'm like, okay, mom, bye now. We're gonna we're gonna talk about once my time. You can go. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was so fun meeting Ma. Um, yeah, it was it was a very similar experience, and this whole thing really just reminded me of like Emma going to prom, like or homecoming, or you know something like. Yeah, it was just exactly. <laughs> It was just so cute. I loved it so much. Um, and then after that, you know, Elsa's, you know, she starts looking through the records of the town, you know, like the town census, you know, looking for some trace of Anna. And speaking of Anna, that's when we get our first, you know, our second flashback of the episode of Anna arriving at Rumpel's castle, asking him for help. You know, she tells him that her name is Joan, you know, hang in there, Joan. And uh, she awkwardly asks Rumpel if there's something wrong with his skin, because that is totally <laughs> something Anna would do. Um, <laughs> but Rumpel cuts, Rumpel cuts her off and says the names are his talk and trade, and then he says that her real name is Anna of Arundel. And, yeah, you can't fool him. He reveals that he knows why she's there. She wants to find out why her parents came to the Enchanted Forest, or Mist Haven, as it's known in Arendelle. And he also tells her that her parents visited him. She wants to know why, but he's, you know, he's not going to give any information up without making a deal. So she tells Rumpel that she'll do whatever it takes to help Elsa, and he does love it when they say that. So um, he gives her a small vial of liquid, along with some instructions to find a prickly, child-eating man at the foot of the Dark Mountain. And he, she has to put the liquid in his tea. And then he conjures a contract scroll to seal the deal. And that honestly made me really happy because I don't think we've seen that since episode four of season one, The Price of Gold with Cinderella. No, uh, I thought they had a uh, contract in the Miller's Daughter. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. But you're right. We haven't seen a written contract in a long time. I miss this side of Rumpel. Even, I mean, and we got to see glimpses. Zach mentioned a little while ago that his portrayal, that Robert Carlyle's portrayal of Mr. Gold in Storybrooke in this episode had subtle hints of Rumpel. And this is the Rumpel that I love. I, oh my gosh, domesticated, like, House husband, Mr. Gold, has nothing on, you know, creepy, powerful, dark one, imp, making deals, trading in names, Rumpelstiltskin. I love him when he is at that. I think everybody should make deals with Rumpelstiltskin. I I love that those scenes with him so much. He was so good. I love that he's eternally amused when he's Rumpelstiltskin. He's just like, He'll just throw a quip in there. Like, one of my favorite things is he's like, as an old man, Derry, probably eats children. Need to give him this vial. And you're just like, oh, wait, wait, what? 
<laughs> and he just keeps going like it's not even a thing that he, the dark one, is like, yeah, there's this dude and he eats kitties, but, you know, you're going to go visit him. It's going to be A+. plus. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of Skin Deep when he tells Bella that he will, um, you know, skin the pelts of, you know, children for, or skin children to get their pelts and stuff. And he's like, only equipped, not serious. <laughs> um, yeah. That's what it made me think of. Uh, later on, Anna arrives at a cabin out in the Enchanted Forest with the vial, and she is greeted by none other than the apprentice. And she asks, come in, and he offers her tea and biscuits. And at first she's like, really, biscuits? You know, she's thinking it's going to be children, and then, of course, it really is biscuits. And she mentions the fact that she thought he eats children, and, you know, he's like, is that what they say about me these days? And then, you know, he wants to know why she's there, and she says she needs help finding her sister. And the tea kettle whistles, and she goes to take it off the fire, and she's about to put the liquid in it, but she thinks again about it, and then she just dumps it all out. She just gets rid of what you know, whatever Rumple just gave her. She it, she gets rid of it. Meanwhile, back in Storybrooke, Emma and Hook arrive at an Italian restaurant, uh, which proves that uh, you know Storybrooke does have more places to eat than just Granny's, which <laughs> yeah. I liked it. And Emma even comments on that, saying that she's happy that it's not Granny's. Um, it's Tony's. And not only do we see an Italian restaurant, but yes, we see a couple eating spaghetti, just like in Lady of the Tramp, which I, I was so happy that they threw that in there because it's, it's one of those classic Disney movies that not a lot of younger generations are familiar with, I don't think, because you don't see a lot of it mentioned. So I was happy that they threw back to such a great movie because that is such a great movie. Lady and the Tramp is awesome. Um, and then, of course, they're seated by a guy who can only be Tony from that movie, and so it really all brought it together in a way that I just, I adored it. I love that scene. Um, they get seated at their table, and Hook offers to buy Emma a drink, but she declines because she's concerned that the Snow Queen is going to interrupt their time together and show up, and, you know, she mentions the puddle around her car, and Hook grabs her hands, and he looks towards the bar, and he says that, you know, they're going to get a drink, and that's when we see Will Scarlet is sitting at the bar, too. The brilliant Michael Saka. And he gets up to leave, and he bumps into the waiter, and it makes him spill wine on Emma's dress. And Emma, you know, her signature line, of course, really? Um, and she says it. And then Hook grabs Will and tells him, with a very sinister tone of voice, that he needs to apologize to Emma. But she tells him that it's okay, recognizes Will as the thief that she, you know that she caught in the forest, but then Will runs off. And Emma jumps up to follow in, but then she decides that she's going to take some time for herself for once. And, you know, she's not chasing the fairy tale thief. And she stays in the restaurant while Hook looks at his hand, clearly concerned that what Gold said in the pawn shop is true. That, you know, it's having an effect on him. Mm. Emma tells him, okay, and she grabs his hand, and Hook says that he doesn't know what got into him. And, you know, it's the phalanges, mate. Like, that's what it was. I mean, <laughs> Evil phalanges. Evil phalanges. Evil. <laughs> Love true. it. I like that Emma got wine spilled on her, just like in the pilot. Like when the the man she was after, when she was bounty hunting, like flipped the table, she got wine spilled on her then, and it was her exact same reaction. She was like, really? Which is kind oh, of her signature thing. But, like, I did not ah, even tune into no. that parallel until right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, 
I loved how it played back to the pilot too, because it's, I mean, that was just, I mean, that was a great, it was a great setup for her character to show, you know, who she was in the beginning. And then we're hearkening back to that now and kind of showing how different she is as a person and how far she's grown. She's not just a, you know, a bail bonds person anymore. She's a sheriff. She's a, she's dressed a little bit more feminine. She's out on a date, like a real date. Um, and it's also a, a pink dress. It's just, it's so much, I know, I thought about Zach and your color article, because in the first one, that dress was, in the pilot, she was out, and the dress was very form-fitting, very tight, very structured, and like a very dark, fuchsia-y, pink, almost red color. And then in this episode, it's also a pink dress, but it was very light, very loosened up, and very flowy, which also I kind of thought like it showed to like a huge change that Emma's gone through so from the beginning till now. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, and, and plus in the first one too, you know, her hair was down. She hadn't really done very much. She wasn't really used to walking in heels. Um, like you said, it was very form-fitting. It was a much more... Even though it was it was it was a very sexy dress, but it was also um, it was a harder dress as far as the material that was used, the way that it gripped her body. Um, this one is a little bit like I said, it's more feminine. It's a, it's softer as far as the fabric. Um, okay. It has a little bow around the waist, and it just you know, and her hair is up in a ponytail. Like I said, it's a little bit more feminine. She's not just you know a badass going to catch a criminal. She's actually enjoying herself on a date. So. Um, it really does show her growth as a character. Um, I was a little bit disappointed that her dress wasn't red, but I think the fact that it was pink, um, almost like a rose color, kind of, I mean, it does show, you know, that she's, she's softened some. Um, and, you know, kind of harkens back to love and things like that. So, you know, I thought that it was, I mean, I thought it was great. It was a great scene. It's a great dress. I mean, Jennifer Morrison looks fabulous in whatever she wears anyway, but yeah, it was it's just good. All around it's good. Um at that point we see Regina and Henry in their search for some anti Snow Queen magic down in Regina's vault, but you know, Regina doesn't have anything that's strong enough to counteract it. Henry asks if it's because Robin Hood still loves Regina. She of course wants to know how he knows that. And he says that he knows that Robin's kiss didn't work on Marion because of his feelings for Regina. And he says, he's like, isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't she be happy? And Regina says that in this case, Henry is just too young to understand. Now, Regina is wearing a shirt that is a shade of what can only be described as Elsa dressed blue. Hmm. Um which really kind of, you know, shows that she's softening as well because she's used, you know, as she stated to Zelina in uh, It's Not Easy Being Green in season three, black is her color. Um, So is red because that shows whenever she's in power. But the fact that she's wearing blue, she's only worn blue like once before, twice before, uh, the episode where Neil was buried and also uh, the episode called A Curious Thing, where she had the, when she, they were in the forest and they went and saw Glinda, she had the blue fur around her too, which matched the what she was wearing at Neil's funeral. But this is a lighter blue. It's not as severe. Um, it's a little bit more of a hopeful color, if you will, because it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's just different. Um, I think that Her Majesty needs to let things go, though. On a couple of things. 
and that's why her shirt matches El- the color of Elsa's dress. Just saying. Right. Uh, me, oh, Hook and Emma arrive back at Casa de Charming, and Emma invites him in for coffee with, you know, her parents, a newborn, and a human ice maker. And, you know, she <laughs> she says again for the second time that she really needs her own place. Now, given the... Uh, given the circumstances of that situation, uh, it's a little bit different than just saying I need my own place to get away from my parents. She's on a date with Hook, and they're kind of getting a little close and kissy. And so she, when she hey. said, she, but she said she needs her own place, you know, it was you know a little bow chicka wow wow. So um, Hook declines, but he does ask Emma out on another date, and she accepts with a kiss and goes inside while he tries to figure out what's going on with his hand. Um. And he even stops kissing her to look at his hand. And honestly, dude, I, I'd be paying more attention to the kiss. But that's just me. Um, <laughs> when Emma goes inside, she leans against the door, and she's greeted by her parents. And it is the most hilarious scene because Snow is like, how was the date? And I was like, you guys are still up. And she's like, we want to know everything about the date. And Charming's like, some of us don't want to know everything. <laughs> And she's like, how was the rest of it? Did you go anywhere afterwards? Was there a good night kiss? And Charming's like, that's one of the things that I don't want to know. And this is, I mean. I love Charming and Snow comedy. And I think I love the the shot of the two of them sitting next to each other on the couch where Snow is like, ah, and Charming's like, no, no, no. It reminds <laughs> me if you had a cat and a dog sitting next to each other and you showed them a toy and the, the cat would be like, oh, no, absolutely not. And the cat, and the dog would be like, hey. That is literally what those two were like on the couch, and I loved it. <laughs> it was hilarious because it's such a contrast because Snow is like, you know, oh, yay, my daughter went out on a date. Tell me all about it. And then Charming is like, I don't want to know a thing. I can't believe that you went out with this man. No. Um, it's just. <laughs> So great, and they really do. They provided some great comic relief in this episode. Snow and Charming did. Um, I I really want to say, you know, like kudos to Josh Dallas and Jenny Goodwin for what they've done because they really make a fantastic comedy duo when they're working together in that kind of way. When they have those kinds of scenes, um, which obviously, I mean, it makes sense. Their husband and wife they've been you know going out for like four years now, so you know it's kind of a thing. But I think that you know. It, it it was a classic mo- parent moment, and again, it's one of those experiences that Emma, not, you know, she didn't get to have when she was younger. They didn't get to have as parents. So, you know, it really kind of plays into the whole thing of, like, Emma, you know, as far as her being their child, she's almost reached, like, the teenager stage, if you will, um, which is kind of nifty. I like it. Um, and at that point, Emma says for the third time that she needs her own place, and she goes upstairs, and Snow is like, she seems really happy. And Charming says, maybe he has changed. And then we hear Emma's voice come down, I can hear you guys. Okay. <laughs> well, there are no walls in the loft, but yeah. <laughs> I was actually, I mean, I literally, not, I don't laugh out loud very often at this show, but I was, I was, yeah, I was cracking up at this one. It, that is one of the funniest things. I can hear you guys. Like, it was the is, delivery of that line. It was. It was just Jennifer Morrison was on point with how she said it because some people would tend to overdo that, but she just hit it right, and that's why it was because it was it was really funny. Yeah, it was more. Um, it was more like kind of delighted annoyance than exasperation. 
if that makes sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, you're right, though. Um, and I'm it's Storybook Prom. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Like, that's exactly what it made me think of again. Um, as, and meanwhile, as Hook is on his way home, he encounters a drunk Will Scarlet trying to break into the library. Hook tells him to go home, and Will refuses, so Hook goes all piratey on him and punches him in the face a few times, knocks him down. Uh, the captain looks at his hand in concern and tells Will that he's a dead man if he tells anybody about their encounter, before he acknowledges to himself that the crocodile was right about his hand. Um, duh, it's Rumpelstiltskin, huh. sir. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. So, back in the enchanted forest of the past, Anna arrives back in Rumpel's castle and lies as she puts the liquid in the apprentice's tea, and Rumpel lets her know that the apprentice will live now that she's completed her task, and he reveals that the apprentice drank poison the day before and Anna just saved his life. Of course, that freaks her out because she didn't do it, so she tells the truth about not using the antidote, and Rumpel is like, you know, why not? We had a deal. And the way that he said that line was hilarious. It was hilarious. Yeah. Um, he just sounded so pouty. I loved it. He's like, oh, but we had a deal. Hmm. I thought it was he so funny. He candy. Yeah, I thought it was so funny. So um, Rumpel uses his crystal ball to show Anna the apprentice who transforms into a mouse. I mean, really, all he needed was some red shorts and yellow shoes, and we would have been set. Um, So then Anna and Rumpel arrive at the apprentice's cabin, and we're just going to call the apprentice Mickey from this point on. And she asks Rumpel to change Mickey back into a human, but he refuses because Mickey was guarding something that he wants, and Anna realizes that Rumpel is the one who poisoned him. And Rumpel tells Anna that the spell around the object of his desire can only be broken by one who has faced her inner darkness. And now that Anna has done so, he can get what he wants. Well, Anna tells him that she never faced her inner darkness because she knew what she had to do as soon as she saw Mickey. And she could never hurt somebody to get what she wants because she's a nice person. (laughs) It's a bit too nice. So Rumpel shows Anna their contract and tells her that she's going to be locked in his tower for breaking the deal. And Anna refutes that she needs to get back to Elsa. And Rumpel's like, well, Elsa's going to feel guilty because of the fact that you came here and you don't come back. So she's going to turn into the monster that everyone believes her to be. So Anna, proving herself to be a very capable young woman, she grabs a sword and demands that Rumpel rip up their contract. But he refuses and tells her that she has to kill him in order to escape her fate. So Anna puts the sword to his chest and he keeps telling her to do it, do it, do it. But the poor girl, she can't bring herself to commit murder, and she just collapses in defeat. And Rumpel catches one of her tears on the dagger and says that she considered killing him, so he has what he needs to break the spell in the box. And Anna tells him that he is a monster for using love as a weapon, to which he replies, love is a weapon. It's just so few people know how to wield it. Um, going pretty evil on it there, Rumpel. So he uses the, the, you know, he opens the trap door down to the sorcerer's chamber where Zoso tried to take the box earlier in the show. And he goes downstairs and he approaches the dais and he uses the dagger to transform the box into the sorcerer's hat. Okay. The fact that he said love is a weapon totally plays into like Cora's thing, you know, love is weakness. Right? Yes. I love that it was 
So, I mean, her thing was love is weakness. I love the parallel and him saying love is a weapon because it's so mirror opposite, but both of them, I mean, that was what they used to get at what they wanted. So I, I loved when he said that. I immediately thought of Cora. I thought of love as a battlefield and started singing, but, you know, that's just me. But no, I do agree <laughs> that... Um, I do agree, though, that it's very interesting. Uh, well, because Cora was taught by Rumpel, so that was her own interpretation of it. She probably learned... Well, actually, she really kind of did use uh, love as a weapon against him, didn't she? Yes, she did, and she used it against Leopold, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, you know, people... I mean, you know, when you're in a relationship... You know, obviously there are little things that you, you know, do for another person. But, you know, to to just outright say that, you know, love is a weapon and so few people know how to wield it, that's a really twisted thing. Like, it's a twisted thing to say, you know, oh, I love you and here's, you know, I'm going to use the fact that, you know, and obviously in a, in this context it's more like, you know, oh, you love me. Okay, so I'm going to use that to get whatever I want out of you. So. Um, it's a, it's a very, it is a very twisted thing to do that. Um, he was, it, he got pretty dark here. Yeah. It really did. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and it's just so interesting considering the fact that he's come so far as how he views love and bell and, you know, where he's at now in his life. It's such a contrast. It really is. Um, exactly. And, I was really about to just mention that, but that kind of played in, I also, you know, how he, uh, what he says to Hook about, you know, him, that's Hook's big threat through this and in the last episode was, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on you to your wife. And, you know, he was going to, that was his, his threat, his hold to get Rubble to work with him was, you know, having something that he could threaten Rumpel's relationship with. So, I mean, that's definitely, you know, that love was something that that he was going to play on to get what he wanted. Yeah, it was it was a really it showed a lot of character growth. It showed, you know, like I said, where he was at before versus where he's at now with everything. Um a huge difference. A huge difference. So I I just I like the fact that they included that in there. Uh, meanwhile, back in Maine, Mr. Gold is getting into his car when Hook jumps in and demands that he remove the cursed hand, and Rumpel declines, and Hook says that he's going to tell Bell, but Rumpel says that he switched the daggers back already, and Hook asks him to take his hand, you know, asks him to take his hand off, and Rumpel says if he wants to get his Hook back, that he'll help him if Hook makes a deal with him, because, of course, and Hook says that he'll find another way to take his hand off, but Rumpel says that it was his magic to put it on, and only his magic can take it off. Oh, you sly dog, you. So Hook stabs Rumpel with the hook, you know, again, and Rumpel yeah. tells him that he should have learned the first time that he stabbed him. It never stings, and he just vanishes it away. So Hook agrees to do whatever it takes to get his hand back, and Gold, who, as we know, loves it when they say that, tells him to meet him at the docks in the morning. So the next day, Emma is driving through town when she hits this huge ice patch and spins out of control. And I'm sure that, you know, 
the weather report for Storybrooke and the white and the ice wall, as well as the radio song request from Mr. Rip Van Winkle, didn't help her keep her focus while she was driving. I love, I love that. the revision. I thought that was hilarious that they threw that little detail in there. I thought it was fantastic. Um, yes. Emma, sees, Emma sees the Snow Queen, and she wants to know why she's following her. And the Snow Queen walks away, and Emma chases her down. But the Snow Queen has disappeared. Okay, quick note about this. If anybody else like me thinks that the Snow Queen is Emma's first foster mom, then this goes hand in hand with that. Conversely, if we find out that the Snow Queen and Emma were friends back when they were kids, it goes along with it too. Mm-hmm. The Snow Queen is not messing with Emma in a malicious way. They're play- She's playing hide and seek with her. Yes, that's what exactly is. what I thought. She's playing hide and seek. Now, whether she was Emma's foster mom or whether they were friends, it doesn't matter. Either way, I bet you anything that we find out that there is a scene between Emma and the Snow Queen when Emma was younger where they play hide and seek in that way. And you know what? It also reminded me of Elsa and Anna when they were kids and Frozen playing together before. And here's the thing about it, too. In the movie, when they're kids and they're playing and Anna is, like, running up on the snow little, you know, the snow staircase, so to speak, that Elsa is creating and Elsa can't do it fast enough, that's when she hits Anna in the head with the ice magic and that's where she gets her streak from. And it made me wonder if something like that has happened with the Snow Queen and Emma in the past. I think so. I would put money on it. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's where Emma got her superpower. That's Emma's superpower, I think, is going to turn out to be her unseen streak. The way Anna got that streak in her hair, Emma, you don't see it, but she got whatever it is that helps her see what people are, you know, when they're telling the truth. Hmm. I'm still leaning like towards it. my mirror theory, but I like that. I like it, too. Um, I just I can't wait to see the history between those two, and which, by the way, is coming next week, because that's when Adam and Eddie said that we're getting it was episode five of this season, which is next week. So I'm excited for that. Um, At that point, Sheriff Swan gets a call from Belle at the library. There's a situation, and she needs Emma's help, because it seems that a drunken Will Scarlet was not deterred by Hook's punches the night before, and he broke in anyway, falling asleep, holding a book next to an empty bottle of whiskey. We'll get to that in just a minute, because... (laughs) I have opinions. I have opinions, too. So, down at the docks, Gold greets Hook, and he summons a broom to find an old friend, and the broom becomes like a little person and starts walking away. And this was another (laughs) nod towards Fantasia, which is the story that's playing out. Meanwhile, Mark Isham's score starts playing the theme from The Sorcerer's Apprentice, like the animated version. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. My Disney fan heart lost its mind. Like, I'm, I, oh, my gosh. The music. The, they even put the music in with the brooms and the box and the hat and the mouse. And, oh, oh, it, it's yeah. too much. It's too much. Oh, I was, oh, I, oh. Do you hear me right now? Oh, oh. <laughs> It was so good. And I loved that the apprentice, or Mickey, before he was changed into the mouse, robes were even a dark red with, like, the gold accent. 
on it. I was like, oh, my God. Ah! You beat me to the punch. I was going to mention that, too, but, yeah. Um, So, meanwhile, back in the Enchanted Forest that was, Rumple emerges from the Sorcerer's Chamber, and Anna tells him to reveal what her parents said to him, and he tells her that they were looking for a way to take Elsa's magic permanently. And she refuses to believe him, but Rumpel says that they feared her more than they loved her, and they always wished that she'd been born a little bit more normal. And he goes on to say that nothing can take that kind of magic away except for what's in the box, and that it's a hat, and that with it he will become unstoppable. Well, Anna says that Mickey, the apprentice, spent his life keeping the hat away from people like him before she looks up. And Rumpel follows suit, and he sees the mouse above him. And the mouse drops on his hand and bites him, and Rumpel drops the dagger. So Anna picks it up, and she orders him not to come any closer. And he stops. She's like, really? You're not coming any closer because I told you to? And that's when she realizes that the wavy knife controls him. So she asks him if he wants the hat to end the dagger's control over him, and he admits it. He admits that he wants to keep his power but not be controlled by the dagger anymore. Aha. Aha. This is a huge this is a huge thing for him to reveal because this is basically what he's saying. And I know a lot of people are, you know, mad at Rumpel right now because of the fact that he is lying to Bell and he's switching the daggers around and he's kinda of going against his word and everything else. But what this is showing is that he does have good intentions at heart because he's trying to get rid of the dark powers for good, like for good. And even though this was a flashback, it shows why he's doing it in modern day storybook. And it shows that he's living up to the promise that he made at Neil's grave in the season premiere. He's trying to be a better person and get rid of the dark. Mm -hmm. So don't be fooled. Rumpel is on the side of good here. Despite everything that it seems, despite the fact that he's lying to Belle, Despite the fact that he's switching the daggers around and being, you know, kind of uh, iffy as far as things go with that, what this line shows is, they all, is the reason why he's doing all of this. He's trying. He's just trying to stay magical, but not have the dark, you know, not have the dagger anymore. Okay. Okay. My thing with that. My thing with that though is that I feel like now that he has Bell, he doesn't need to do that. If you if you follow the logic of. He, you know, he wants to keep the power. He wants to get rid of the dagger. And what he has right now with Bell is he has his power, and then he has the dagger safe with Bell. But I just feel like he either doesn't—he's either fearful of himself and what he's capable of, or I know he trusts Bell. It's not a matter of trust, but I just think it's very interesting that he already has achieved his goal and he just can't see it yet. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there might be always a potential for the dagger to get stolen should, you know, some other crazy villain fly in. But I think as far as they know, like, he has nothing to fear from Bell. So I just really do think it's interesting that he's going through all this with the hat, and yet he really does already have what he wants. He's a, Well, I think that you hit it on the nose when you said that he's afraid of what he's capable of himself. I, I really think that that's, you know... He's, he's, he, I mean, because here's the thing, right? He's a coward. He was always a coward before he got the dagger. Mm-hmm. So he, all that he's doing now is he's acting out of fear. Right. It's, right. Comple- it's completely in line with his established character traits. Completely. Mm-hmm. So, right. I mean, that, I mean, but it's, I do it's, think that it's, 
Oh, I'm sorry, Cindy. I was just going to say that I do think as long as the dagger has power over him or can't, even has the potential to have power for him, no matter who has it or where it's hidden, there's always going to be a chance, and he knows that there's always going to be a chance that someone will get a hold of it and be able to control him. And he just, you know, experienced that with Zelina last season. So I think, I mean, I can totally see the desire to get rid of it, even though he has this relationship with Belle and he's settled in his life and everything. He, I think he still, you know, like he, like he said, he wants the power. And even it was something that Bellfire mentioned to him, you know, when he was younger in a previous episode previous season that you know he told him papa will you know we'll then we'll find a way we'll find a way to you know loose this hold that the dagger has or or get rid of this so i mean i can definitely see his motivation that no you know as long as that dagger is even a chance that it can you know somebody can get a hold of it that that will always be hanging over his head uh, I could talk about this for a long time, really. Such an interesting topic. Like, yeah. Rumble really is the crux of, like, not only the crux of the show, but he really is a, a, a huge mover and shaker for it. So, yeah, you could just really dis- – and then he's so subtle with all of his different shades of and levels of dark oneness that you could just talk for days about where, you know, where is he going? Cause he plays the long game. And that's the one thing I really loved about his interactions with Anna because he was playing her like a fiddle from the very start. Like he knew she wasn't going to put the vial in. He was all of this, you know, moving, he was basically moving chess pieces around the board to get her, to face the inner darkness in, like, the worst way possible to get that tear, like, as soon as she stepped through the door, or even before then, when he saw her in the crystal ball. And that's nuts. And that's what I love about Rumble, is that he is literally, like, he'll, he'll do a little nudge here, he'll do a little whatever there, and then, you know, all the pieces fall into place. So you really never even know what he's going to do or what his results will be. I love it. True. Anyways, before I, because we we can seriously harp on this subject for a while, and we have the rest of the episode to talk about. So, um, okay. So at that point, Anna, going back back to the recap, um, Anna orders him to send her and the box and the box, mind you, home to Arendelle, and she also wants him to transform Mickey back into a man. And he obliges. He sends her back to Arendelle with the box, and then he completely freaks out in anger because he just missed out on what he was supposed to have. Okay. So, I think what I can't wait to see is who ends up with the box, like, who, like, gets it before the first curse gets cast because all of these flashbacks are happening before Regina cast the first curse. So, I'm interested to see what happens with the box and how it ended up being in that big, huge mansion from the season premiere. And the owner of that house, by the way, we don't even know. Well, obviously, the the sorcerer owns the house. So, um, <laughs> Yen said anyone. So, I'm interested <laughs> to see how it goes from Arendelle to, you know, Storybrooke. And, if, and especially, oh, oh, and this too. Okay, and this, and this. So, if that house, like, we don't know this for sure, but, you know, it makes me question, was that house there during the first curse? 
or is it new to town and, you know, don't, I mean, I question these things. Like, is the house new? Was it there the whole time? Was the magic box with the hat in that house during the first curse? If so, you know, what happened after Regina undid the curse? Did it go back to, you know, Yensid with the enchanted forest in the past, and then it got back, brought back again? Like, what happened with that box? I'm very intrigued, and I really hope that we see more of that playing out over the rest of the season, because Adam and Eddie have already said that, you know, the whole thing with the author of the book is going to go all season, and since I'm pretty sure that it's connected to the sorcerer, I'm, I think that, the, you know, the stuff with the box and the hat, that's going to go all season, too. I really think so. I'm excited for that. I want, I want them to, to really develop all of this and get little bits and pieces and creep closer and closer and closer until we get the answer. I, yes, I want it to just unfold magnificently. Because I do have so many questions. I agree with you. I, I need the who, what, where, why, when. I am just... I have, you know, theories, but I I just don't know, and I want to know, and that's the best part about watching the show is when you're not 100% sure where things are going to go, but you kind of have an idea, but then they throw a curveball at you, and you're like, wait, wait, you know, you're you're caught a bit off guard, and you so you keep yeah. wanting to dig into the mystery, and that's what I love about once. I love when we get these, and we we're in the middle of one right now. We're in the middle of a couple. These storylines and tidbits that get everybody theorizing and coming up with uh, different theories. I have so many theories going on in my head right now. They're so crazy. And I know Zach wrote out his theory, which was fantastic. And I'm loving watching all everybody just buzz on Twitter and on Facebook. So similar to the way everybody was back in season one when we were all trying to figure out who was who and what was going on. And I just, uh, I cannot wait to see what happens. I'm so, uh, so excited with this season. I love it so far. Yeah, I, this season is shaping out to be, um, I mean, so far, I mean, you know, we haven't gotten very far into it, but so far this has been my favorite season since uh, season one actually. Um, I actually prefer this storyline to Neverland, even though I thought Neverland was fantastic. I think Lost Girl is an amazing episode. Um, I think that they did a lot of really good things with that storyline, but the the things that are happening now, the storyline is so layered. There are so many factors going on, um, you know, and it's all going to converge in a really, I mean, there's so many different storylines that are all going to converge all at once in a major way, I think. Everything has to do with everything else this time, and uh, I, I seriously am loving the season. It really is my favorite season ever since season one. I mean, season one I think will always be my favorite of the show until unless they do something incredible, and this season may end up being that one. But I, I think that it's you just can't top the first season of this show. It was just amazing all around. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic. So I, I can't wait. I, I just can't wait to see how this year unfolds. I'm really, really excited about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, and I think I agree with you that season one can't touch it. And that's why I think I'm enjoying season four so much because it feels very much like season one. So, like you said, I'm yeah. wondering if this season will just, like, blow our minds completely at the mid-season finale and top it. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen next. It has the potential to do that. It really does. 
they are they are setting up some major things in in this season, especially in this episode, and I'm so intrigued and excited and you know interested and you know genuinely thrilled about what's happening this season on the show. I'm I'm loving it. I think it's fantastic. So yeah. Um, anyways, back to the back to the discussion again. Um, <laughs> jumping jumping back to Storybrooke, the broom, the walking broom, leads Rumple and Hook to a red house, and the owner is revealed to be Mickey, the apprentice. Yay! Um, he, he lives in. A, I know. Oh boy, huh? Um, anyways, <laughs> you do a um, way better Mickey voice than I do. I'm not. Uh, why am I surprised at this? I shouldn't be at all, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Anyways, um, the, uh, the dynamic. Oh my god. Okay. I, yeah. The dynamic. So the dynamic duo that is Rumple and Hook enter the house, and Rumple uses the dagger to open the box. Mickey is pretty shocked to discover that Rumple has finally got the box, and he reiterates that every dark one has tried, but all have failed. Time to update that motto, Mickey. And uh, Rumple tips the hat, and poor Mickey is imprisoned within. You know, so Hook asks where he went, and Rumple says that he's right where he needs him, and a new star appears on the hat. And honestly, I was at, I was simultaneously like, "Whoa, that's cool!" and "Oh no, that poor man!" Like, <laughs> no, that like, was that was my reaction too. I was like, "That's really neat." Oh God, what happened to him? <laughs> Why not? I'm not going to lie to you. I was very surprised when he flipped over the hat, and I was like, wait. And it just vacuumed him up. And, well, I wonder who else is in there. Honestly, there's so many stars. Are those all individual people? Yes, I was. that was exactly my thought, too, because there are so many stars. There's practically, like, little galaxies going on in there. And I was like, who else is in that hat? Like, is that where Merlin is? Like, oh, my gosh. Oh, that would be fabulous. I mean, and at the same time, I was wondering, like, and here's what I thought of, too. Okay, this is what I wondered. I wondered to myself, you know, is the Enchanted Forest and all of the other worlds, are they contained within that hat? Is it some kind of weird thing like that? Like That is some men in black business right there. Like, that is, you know, the, the galaxy is on Orion's belt situation going on. Seriously, though. Like, because yeah, I'll tell you what. For a long time, especially during season one, I was convinced that the Enchanted Forest, like the world of the Enchanted Forest, still existed and that it was the book, Henry's book. And that as and that if, you know, if the book ever got destroyed, then that would be like the end of the Enchanted Forest for real because it's in the book. That I well, thought the never ending story? No, no, no. I uh, like I thought that I thought that Henry Storybrooke was like a manifestation of the Enchanted Forest. And if the book was ever destroyed, they would never be able to go back to the Enchanted Forest again because it literally oh. is. Ah, oh. uh, interesting. I thought that for us. Oh. I thought that was the whole first season, to be honest with you. I really did. I was convinced that was going to be the case. And, it, and, it, and then in season two, when Emma and Snow got, you know, um, when they got portaled back to the Enchanted Forest, I thought at some point Henry was going to be flipping through the book and see them there. Like that would blow my mind. I really thought yeah. that's what was going to be happening. I was I was so sure of it. Um, that would have melted my face off with, like, awesome. 
yeah, I really, I really was convinced that that was going to be what was happening. I thought it would have been so cool if Henry is just flipping through the book one day and all of a sudden he sees Emma and Snow and realizes that, you know, they got to get him out of the book. Um, you know, because it's literally a story come to life. So, yeah, anyways, that's that's where my thinking was on that. Um, God, I should have written that as a theory way back when. So, anyways, um, um, in Arendelle, Kristoff is trying to give Sven a carrot, but he gets brutally rebuffed. And Anna enters the stable, and she is reunited with her ice master and deliverer, who proclaims that he has taken a bath today and then wants to know what's on her mind. And she tells him that her parents were trying to take Elsa's power, and she is really at a loss for words because she doesn't know what she's going to tell Elsa about all this. And, you know, poor girl. I mean, what do you say? Um, Back at the pawn shop, Rumpel takes Hook's hand back and returns, you know, the hook. And Rumpel's, or excuse me, Hook says that their deal is done, but Rumpel disagrees. And after Hook says that, you know, I'll tell on you to Belle if he doesn't get out of it, Rumpel produces a 1980s-style videotape with security footage from Mickey's yeah. house, and he uses magic to change its content so that Hook is in a more villainous light. And he also reveals that the severed hand is not is not cursed. Hook just bought into the idea that it was, and he warns him that he's going to lose Emma if he tells Belle the truth because he is threatening his marriage, so he's going to threaten Emma. So pouring more salt on the wound... He says that Hook is now indebted to him for as long as Hook lives. And Hook says, you know, he's like, what if I'm willing to take you down with me? And Rumpel's like, I think I know you better than you know yourself, Derry, because he knows that's not going to happen. And then he tells uh, Hook that they're going to have some fun together. Meanwhile, this scene was my favorite. Yeah? Was my favorite scene of, it was my, that was my favorite scene of the episode. I just like the fact that they were trying to counter blackmail each other. But I really like the fact that it was a placebo effect with the hand. And the reading of Robert Carlyle's, uh, the line, the, because it actually made me think about what you said about the, the, pattern, the speech patterns of the dark one in the Enchanted Forest when he's like, dark one lies, dark one, one cheeks. That was very Rumpelstiltskin and not gold. And it really didn't hit me until you had mentioned that before. But just the two of them kind of trying to outwit each other. And obviously Hook is no match because... Rumble Stilskin's been manipulating people since like the beginning of time, so it was just a really great scene. I hadn't even picked up on the fact that that was very Rumple like what I had said earlier until you just said that now. So I, I mean, yeah, sisters. Um, so yeah. Um, so meanwhile, Sheriff Savior Swan arrives back at the station and she confronts an imprisoned Will Scarlet, asking why he broke into the library. Now, he brushes her off with some sarcasm, some charm, some exposed hip bone, and she pulls out a copy of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, as well as a ripped-out page displaying a drawing of the Red Queen. Oh, and, my heart. Oh. Hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait for it. So, Will <laughs> looks at it in silence as she asks if it means anything to him, and while he denies it, a tear runs noticeably out of his eye. Okay, Amy, go. Go, Amy, go. I was, like, leaping off the bed. I know not all the Wonsters watched Wonderland, so if you did not watch Wonderland, Will Scarlet and the Red Queen or Anastasia are uh, fabulous, wonderful. That was the whole, you know, end game. I could not have imagined a better ending to their story than what they did on Wonderland. And now, with 
Will Scarlet. Oh, ah. Anastasia had better not be dead. She better not have anything horrible happen to her. I'm going to be devastated in the bathtub, crying if something bad has happened to that whole relationship. Um. Oh. Yeah. Uh. Okay, Ashley, you go. I'm gonna wait. You go. I. First off. First thing, which I got the, the finger out. First thing, I better not mess up that happy ending. I, I use, I'm very much in the camp of I trust the writers, do your thing, whatever. But and I, I'm I'm trying to keep it spoiler light because I have somebody who sees somebody in the chat room is like ah spoilers. You really should watch uh, Wonderland though. It is is great. There's a self-contained great fairy tale jaunt. But enough about that. That happy ending was so worked hard for. My grammar's terrible. Mm-hmm. That's how flustered I am. No, they really, really worked and strived and scraped and sacrificed for that happy ending. And then when he, I admit, I audibly gasped. My neighbors must think I'm insane. I audibly gasped when we saw the picture of the Red Queen. I was like, <gasps> what? And so now yeah. I really, really want to know why exactly Will is in town. And I think I may be at a, I don't want to say a disadvantage, but a different advantage from people who haven't watched Wonderland, who do watch once because they may not be as invested in that mystery. Here's a, I am yeah, totally uh, invested. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, we only have 10 minutes left, and we said we need to wrap it up like quickly, and we still have a lot to talk about. But, okay. When I saw that, when I saw the drawing of the Red Queen, and I saw Will had a tear in his eye, I was like, okay, one of two things has happened. Okay, one of two things has happened here. Either they broke up again. No. Spoiler, okay, so spoiler alert: if you have not watched Wonderland, I'm sorry, but you had your chance, and it is very like important to what's happening here. So we have to discuss what happened. Why, mm-hmm. Ashley? I'm piggyback off what you said again. Mm-hmm. Her happy ending in Wonderland was so they had to fight tooth and nail to get their happy ending. Here's a major spoiler. If you have not watched Wonderland, you know, I'm sorry. They haven't put it out on DVD. I don't know if they ever will, so you may never get a chance to see this, so I don't know. But in that story, in Wonderland, the Red Queen, Anastasia, Will Scarlet's true love, died. She died. Jafar, because Jafar is in it, Jafar from Aladdin, brought her back to life. And then they ended up together. So if she died again, and there's no bringing her back this time because Jafar was put in a lamp and sent off by the weird thing in the water from Wonderland, oh, oh, there will be a riot. I I will I will riot with you. I will fly to Chicago. We will riot together, just the two of us standing out, you know, like in the magnificent we'll line. A grumpy and granny, and get some torches and pitchforks. Like, oh no, seriously. If she's dead for real, if she's dead, oh, I I can't even. I no, can't but here's even. the thing. I do have hope. I do have hope that she's not because, as we discussed it previously, um, the very, very last scene from Wonderland, you see Alice reading to her daughter, who is a few years old, that, you know, they lived happily ever as the white king and queen. So maybe this is just a bump in the road. Here's I the hope thing. so. Here's the thing, though, and here, and I'm sorry to have to counter you on this, but I have to. Here's the thing about that. 
everything that happened in Wonderland was happening during the second season of Once Upon a Time. Yes. So in the and time doesn't pass the same for Alice because Alice doesn't live in our world; she lives in a land of story. So she, you know, lives in her own like version of Victorian England. So you're right. Um, no. no, 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 no! I totally <laughs> refuse to believe <laughs> that anything horrible has happened to Anastasia. It's, I'm looking I mean, it with her in denial. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna have to brace ourselves, everyone, because I I don't I oh I don't know we'll have to see. we got it we got to keep going with the with the recap though because we only got five okay. minutes left but yeah okay we'll we'll see what happens with that so um, Emma wants to know how Will's face got pummeled and Hook comes in so Will keeps his secret and he claims memory loss which as we all know is an all too common affliction in these parts and Emma unveils her intention to keep him locked up for cashing her date. It's only slightly illegal, but it doesn't matter because, you know, Snow White wrote the Constitution for a storybook this time because she's the mayor. So, you know, I'm sure that she won't mind if her daughter locks him up for crashing her day because look how happy she was when she even got to go on it. So there we go. Uh-huh. Um, she wants to know where Hook's hand went. He says that, you know, the Dark One's magic didn't work the way he wanted to. And then Charming, who is still looking over the town census records with Elsa for Anna, he interrupts with the news that the Snow Queen's storybook persona, Sarah Fisher, is not in the records of either curse, which means that she came to Storybrook on her own without assistance of a curse. That's major. That is huge. It's huge because supposedly, at least we know from the first curse, you can't just come to Storybrook. Nobody can. I wonder Emma why she wanted to come to Storybrook. I, it's it has to do with Emma and Emma even wonders that out loud. She wants to know what this you know, how the Snow Queen got there and what she wants with Emma. There there's something there. There is some there is something go there is something going on. I can't wait to see more of this and to find out the answers and yeah, I'm so excited. Um as this is all playing out, Regina takes a figurative page out of Belle's book as she looks through her tomes of magical darkness. And Henry arrives to check on her progress about unfreezing Marion. Here's a hint. There isn't any. And he switches the subject to Operation Mongoose. And he mentions how Rumpel married Belle, and he must have figured out how to change the story. So he's going to find out how he did that on Regina's behalf. It's undercover time, folks, because he goes to Rumpelstiltskin's shop and asks for a job. He plays the dead dad card, which is bad form, mate. I'm sorry. And, he uh, take Vector's grandpa in the manipulation in area, though, so he was definitely making old grandpappy proud there. Yeah, and this totally plays into what Adam and Eddie said, too, about the fact that Henry is going to have to face, you know, make a choice between darkness and goodness because, like you just said, he's playing up the manipulation side here. I just was expecting Henry to be a little bit more sad about Neil being gone and not use him to get Rumpel to, you know do what he wants him to, but, you know, again, he's getting a little bit darker, so there you go. So mm-hmm. Rumpel agrees to give him a job, and he warns Henry to stay out of the back room and don't touch anything before he says that Henry can be his apprentice. Aha. And he hands him the broom, the same one that was walking, it's now disenchanted, to sweep. And so he starts sweeping the shop while the musical theme from the Sorcerer's Apprentice from Fantasia starts playing again. Okay, okay. I just, I have to say it. I'm sorry for tooting my own horn. I'm sorry, but I have to. I wrote a theory a year ago saying that this is exactly what was going to happen. Yes. 
okay. I wrote a I wrote a, a an article about season four predicting what was going to happen, and I said it then that this was exactly what was going to happen. You better go collect your check from Adam and Eddie then. <laughs> and it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ABC. I'm. Mm. Um, and, you know he's um, gonna go back in the back room. You know he's gonna touch everything. And I, you know, I can't wait to see it. And and you know he's gonna flood that shop, and it's gonna fill with water. And you know Rumpel's gonna have to come in and get rid of all of it. Yes. Yes. What if Henry puts on the hat? I don't know why the hell would be lying up. But what if he actually puts it on? Like, what if it doesn't suck him up? What if it gives him powers? <laughs> it's it not going to suck him up. You know, Henry's going to end up being the most powerful user of magic ever to have ever to have existed. I'm telling you, that is my prediction. Henry is the not only is he the truest believer, he's got way more going on with him than anybody even thinks at this point. I'm telling you. Mm. I'm, so, um, I mean, I'm I'm just saying. Okay, I'm just. Saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, we only I have, have a theory. <laughs> We only have one minute left. We have to wrap it up here. Thank you all for joining us. Of course, we will be back next week, same time, same place, talking about uh, Breaking Glass, which is next week's episode. Um, we really appreciate you guys listening to us, and look out for more of our you know, Facebook posts and Twitter and things like that on the interwebs. Uh, Amy and Ashley, it was a pleasure joining you this evening. Thank you very much for coming on and doing our jobs as fabulously as we have done. Um, that's pretty much it for us, everybody. So, uh, yeah. Good night. Yeah, thanks. Good night.